Hey everyone, JJ Cooper, Josh Norris joining you on another Facebook Live and podcast here on a beautiful Thursday here in Durham, North Carolina. Josh is uh, already, I wouldn't call him road weary, but he is uh, no, already... No, he's road weary. Yeah, okay, road weary, because he has seen a ton of games this week. The days where Josh saw one game this week it means he was taking it easy, because yeah, there, he did double up. So Tonight, no game. I do have to write at some point, but then probably a full slate Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And again, he's already seen many, many games this week. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about Ronald Acuna and his early season struggles a little bit. And struggles maybe a little strong, but we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, we do want to thank you for tuning in to today's Facebook Live, which is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. And if you go there right now, you enter the offer code BASHIP, that's BA. SHIP, you can save 20% off of your order. As always, we are attired with our baseballism Finest gear, baseballism hats and shirts, and there's much more. I mean, there's there's purses, there's there's everything on baseballism.com. Keychains, key fobs, sweatshirts, it's all there. Right now, if you're in the Northeast, you probably still you could use a sweatshirt. There's if been, you're in the Northeast, if you're here too. You parka, yes. You were at a game uh, last week. 44 degrees with wind. But so we were both fortunate enough. It's been a good week for Baseball America. In the past week, we have in person seen Kyle uh, Glazer for us was at Shoei Otani's start where he carried a perfect game to the seventh. So that's our number two prospect. Uh, we both have seen, uh, you saw Ronald Acuna every time yeah, that Ronald oh no. Acuna played. Wild horses couldn't keep me away from that guy. But uh, we saw our number one prospect. I saw him also, Ronald Acuna. He was here in Durham. And then starting, I believe, tomorrow, or maybe it's tonight. Ben Badler for us will be at New Hampshire Fisher Cats watching Vladimir Guerrero Jr., our number three prospect. And Bo Bichette. And Bo Bichette, our number nine prospect, I believe. I think that sounds right. And uh, also, speaking of that, uh, we just unveiled today the story. I saw Fernando Tatis Jr. play uh, very recently. And our cover story just went up at BaseballAmerica.com today. So that's another top ten prospect we've seen in the very uh, recent uh, past. So... Seeing a lot of the top 10 in just the last uh, couple of weeks, which is great. And I think spring, since spring training, I don't think we've missed any of them. Maybe one. Eloy Jimenez, because he's been hurt. Eloy, we're waiting, but we'll see him uh, at some point when he gets up to AAA. Yeah, he's going to start in AA, but when he, gets to Charlotte. he should get to Charlotte. But So we do want to start off, though, uh, and we do also, you know, if you have your questions, we will be happy to answer those, so uh, ask away. But Josh, Acuna, Ron Acuna... He's down the minors after having as good a spring training as a player could possibly have. Um, and the thing I think that struck both of us is, is this is not the best Ronald Acuna we've seen. No. Um, he is a little over-anxious. Um, he's taking big swings, uh, trying to hit the ball 500 feet all the time, it seems like. He's, having, he's had some really bad at-bats. He had some really good ones, too. But he had one where I, he struck out on three consecutive fastballs. Chiu who? Looking at one, looking at two, swinging at three. Or swinging, no, swinging at two. Swinging at two and looking at one. Swing, swinging two massive, I'm going to hit the ball 580 feet swings, followed by looking at strike three. Right. And he had a similar one last night against Hunter Wood where he took two sliders and then swung at a curveball. You know, it, was, it wasn't the best look, but I talked to Durham manager Jared Sandberg after the game. Bulls manager. Right. That's why I said Durham. Oh, Durham, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, I said, you know, what do you think of this kid? And he said, you know, when Trey Turner came through the league, he was my favorite player. 
this kid, he's my favorite player in the league. And he saw him, it's not just this three games. Yeah, he saw him last He year. saw him last year, and he also saw him at the Futures game, because he was at the Futures game in a coaching capacity as well. So he was all five tools, guy who can hit it uh, a mile, guy who can play elite level defense. When I say hit it a mile, he didn't really do it in this series. I've never he seen MVP. him. He hit one in, in, uh, in Durham Bulls Athletic Park, just to the left of dead center, over the hedges, over the brick wall, and you know, probably one hopped off the building in center. And I, I asked some people around the park, like, who have you seen who's done that? And the answer was Josh Hamilton. Which, that would have been a, uh, and it was a limited look at Josh, because Josh only was in AAA as a, a rehabber, if I remember correctly. Right. So, um, but, uh, but so that's, uh, with Acuna, obviously none of this really matters in the long run, because Acuna is not in AAA to prove that he's big league ready. He's already proven that. He's just logging his days until the uh, he gets called up because they'll have seven years of team control and not six. Right. That's what's going on. So, And I don't think that any of this is something that's going to be a long-term problem for Acuna. No, but even if they were to keep him in there past it, he's 20 years old. He's the youngest player in the IL, uh, 20.3 years old, I believe. If you go to Baseball America also, you can check out. We have the youngest player in every league. If you're a Padres fan, you're going to see a lot of Padres. The Padres have the four youngest players in low A in Midwest League and the four youngest players in the high A California League. Oh, yeah, they also have the youngest player in the Texas League, San Antonio, Fernando Tatis Jr. And if you throw out Cesar Istris Jr. for the Mariners, who's up from the DSL to fill in as a defensive replacement, they also have the youngest player in the uh, Pacific Coast League, Luis Urias. So... They have the youngest player essentially in all four of their full season leagues, which is insane. And if you wouldn't be surprised, you also find out at baseballamerica.com that they have the youngest rosters in the minor leagues. Yeah. But the other thing I want to ask you about, though, because we were talking about this in the office today. We've seen a lot of the Durham Bulls uh, bullpen first week. The only guy I haven't seen is Ryan Weber. And that's because he got called Because he was up and he gave up a run in one third of an inning. Um, but. The thing that does stand out is, is because this is, you know, we talk a lot about top 100 prospects, top 10 prospects in organization. Relievers don't often make that. But this Bulls bullpen is filled with future big leaguers. And for many cases, guys, we've already reached it briefly. But the thing that jumps out is, is there's a number of these guys who should be successful big leaguers 2018 and uh, beyond. I mean, their bullpen is obscene. It's stupid. There's... Night, there, there are three or four different guys you could use to close a game. You could talk. You can go to Ryan Stanek, who will throw you 97, 98, touch 100 with a slider. You can go to Ian Gabo, same idea. Big corn-fed country hoss. Looks like he's bailed a lot of hay. 97 to 98 with a 91 mile an hour slider that's got a little more vertical break than it does depth, but it gets the swings and misses just the same. And then you get to the good guys. You got Jamie Schultz out there. He. I heard he almost made the team out of spring training, but he had a little bit of a nagging injury. This guy is electric. It's 95 to 97 with hard cut, and then a you-can't-hit-it-plus curveball, 83-85. It's 11-5 break. It's hard. It's got depth. It's got everything you want. People can't touch it. Then there's Hunter Wood, the monster at the back of that pen. This is a starter's background. I think this will probably be the only, this will probably be his first full year as a reliever. But I said to one of the scouts last night, you know, how often do you see a guy with four distinct quality pitches in the eighth inning? And the answer is not very. Mm -hmm. And he's got a fastball, 93, 95, with some, with some life to it. 
He's got a slider in the low eight, or the high 80s with more cut type break, but it got swings and misses on it. He's got a hammer curveball in the, I want to say the high 70s. That is a hammer when he nails it. It got um, he got hit. He hung one yesterday and it got hit out. And then he's got a changeup too. So there's four different weapons he can attack you with. And, and all of these guys can close. And you haven't even mentioned Diego Castillo. I haven't even mentioned Diego Castillo, who I wrote on our little internal thing. You know, his delivery might give you seizures, but his pitches cause them too. <laughs> it, it's it's nasty. He's 97 to 100 with a with another uh, slider and a and a, and a changeup, and everything gets swings and misses. And then oh, there's the, this there's, is the AAA bullpen. There's also old man Johnny Venters, who's out there low 90s, who absolutely could pitch in the big leagues right now. Absolutely, he. Uh, he came in after Jose Mujica the other day, who was showing you a fringy changeup. And uh, Fenders is, here's what a real changeup looks like. One, two, three, good night. And, Adam, and then you're not even including Adam Clark, who's a low slot lefty, who yep. a lefty matchup guy. With big um, league time. Who has big league time and gets a ton of ground balls. Uh, you know, 88, 90 from a low slot, which is a tough uh, AB for, uh, for lefties to face. That's the bull. The, the point we just want to make is, is I mean, partly is, is that this is the insanity that are sometimes AAA bullpens now because most teams are going to use at some point during the year between ten to fifteen relievers are going to come up at the big league level, which is crazy to think now, but that's how it works, and that's where a team, you know, where teams can can basically save themselves is is you have you're going to have guys go down, you're going to have guys struggle. But the point is, is I do think this interesting with the Rays is, is the way they're doing this right now with their three starters, Yanni Chirinos as an almost starter, and then their pendant. Almost starter. Well, they, they've treated him as, they've, they've lengthened him out, but he was on very strict pitch. They're slowly lengthening him out to be a starter, but they kind of started the season saying he was kind of part of this bullpen. Bullpenning. Bullpenning, too. Um, but the point being, one of the things that does hurt the Rays is, is we just mentioned these guys, but a number of these guys are more of one out, one inning guys than they are two to three to four inning guys. And as long as the Rays are expecting, which let's say they send Jake Faria down, which might happen, they might be even more so, if they're looking two days out of every five to try to figure out a way to just to, to fill it with a bullpen with guys going three innings, they don't have many spots for the Hunter Woods and the Diego Castillos and the Johnny Venters and all who really are more one-in guys. Right. So we do have some questions we want to get to, and we'll get back to uh, Griffin Canning in a minute. But we do have some questions, and so we'll start with Jack Cecil just has a comment. Beloit snappers, no hitter today. Yes, no hitter today from Beloit. Uh, three pitchers combined. We also had two cycles yesterday in the same game by the same team, which... Jalen Miller and Gio Brusa for the San Jose Giants. I don't know if I can ever remember that happening before. I can't either. I think my favorite was opening day two years ago where we had, I think it was a four-home run game, a cycle, and a no-hitter on opening day. Wow. Uh, Eric Simmons, will Mark Appel, the former number one overall pick, ever make the majors? Well, obviously he is retired or stepped away for now. We don't know if he'll ever be back. So right now, the best guess is no. Um, I still think if Mark Appel did come back, did move to the pen, just tried to blow gas for an inning at a time, that he could still make it to the majors at some point. But He could fit right in in the Durham bullpen. Yes. He would be one of the softer tossers 
Um, but you know, but yes, yes, you know. So, but I do think right now, obviously, him not pitching and having stepped away and no guarantee he'll ever be back. You have to say that uh, skeptical. But he was in AAA before, so if healthy, there still is at least a shot. Uh, Doug Coco asked. Doug Coco Lane asked, "How is Luis Robert progressing? Uh, injured, and we hope to have him back in." Hopefully Winston-Salem, not yeah, too far down the road from us. Winston-Salem physically. Right, but uh, we're hoping for a uh, uh, really kind of a, uh, a month or so more probably. Something like that. Yeah, roughly. That's a rough estimate. Uh, Stephen Solomon, hello, gentlemen. What is the latest on Victor Robles' elbow? And even if he recovers soon, when do you foresee him cracking the Nationals' overcrowded outfield? Uh, good news is his x-rays were negative, which I always love that negative is a positive here, um, but no fracture. But when he returns, really what it comes down to is, is you do it. That is not an outfield of guys who are filled with outstanding health records. No. Um, so Bryce Harper, as great as he is, often spends a, takes at least a trip to the DL at some point. Adam Eaton is Adam Eaton's regular. coming off of a missing, missing all of last year. So I would say you're still talking, you know, I, I would not be surprised at all to see a healthy Robles in the big leagues sometime in June or July. I'd yeah. say that's, a, that's an estimate. That's any, fair. Any different for you? No. I'm going to send this one to you. Russell uh, Butch Boudreaux Jr. asks, when do you think Acuna will be called up to the show? A couple days. I mean, I, I can't do that math, but... This weekend, I soon. think, is when he will be past the point where they will still have him under team control going into it'll be six point it'll be less than 171 days of active big league time this year which means they'll have another year of team control so it could be this weekend i would say next week would be a likely at the latest right now yeah uh scott greenwald asked would vladimir Guerrero jr i assume you say vlad but Guerrero jr stay at third or will he move to first I think he's going to move to first. Eventually, he is already rather large. He moves well for a large, uh, you know, for a large teenager. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say that he's probably going to stay there long term. And again, but we don't But there's precedent. Care. I mean, Pablo Sandoval made a career third. For Miguel Sano yep. is playing third. Miguel Sano, it looks like he's on the other side of 280. I'll put it that way. So it's not impossible by any stretch. The other thing is, is the way Vlad Jr. is hitting... You don't care. Yeah, he'll find his spot. Four somewhere. walks, two Ks right now, which a for him is run, just normal. A home run that almost was like three quarters of the way up the batter's eye in Trenton, which I've seen like three guys ever do: uh, Cody Johnson, uh, Jesus Montero, no, probably him. That's probably it. Um, Eric Simmons also asked, "Where do you think will be the number one pick in this year's MLB draft? I think maybe Brady Singer of Florida. I'm not thinking that so far any, uh, anymore. I'm thinking right now." And we uh, both know Casey, Casey Mize. At Casey Mize. I know the health record has been a little questionable, but at the same time, he's dominated. He dominated last year. He's dominated this year. He's dominating with really good stuff. He has the track record of success combined with really good stuff. His stuff is better than Singer's, and his performance is better than Singer's. The only thing that Singer right now has over him is health. Mm -hmm. uh, and by health, what we mean by that. Singer also has had some health questions in the past, but what we mean by health is, is he's been healthy and on the mound more often in college than Mize. But again, Mize is making every start this year, so I, I would say unless there's medical stuff that we do not know about, I would say Casey Mize. Um, and that leads us back to 
I wanted to add, you know, talk about a little bit about we uh, Kyle Glazer, who's on the road again today, going to see games. Um, is uh, he saw Griffin Canning uh, this past week, and did want to kind of spotlight that for the podcast and the Facebook Live because he's a guy who's easy to forget a little bit because he did not pitch last year. Him and Alex Fado and Trevor Rogers and Trevor Rogers, who we're still waiting to see, uh, but did not pitch last year. Fado and Canning both had pretty significant workloads in college were shut down after they uh, signed their uh, pro contracts. But Griffin Cannon came out to start this season. At high A. High A, which is what Fado did too, both went to yep. high A. But Cannon came out with better stuff than he showed at UCLA. Uh, he's consistently was sitting 94-95, touching some sixes and sevens. Um, the secondary stuff was really good as well. Fado's stuff has not been that good so far. Two starts each, you know, we'll see how it once, you know, things go, you know, as it lengthens the season. But it is worth noting uh, that if you are kind of a prospect watcher, Griffin Canning right now looks like he has a chance to be better than the guy that we saw at UCLA, and the UCLA guy was really good. Which is kind of interesting because James Caprillion pulled the same trick when he left UCLA. He found five miles an hour after he left UCLA. And then went L, and, L, L, and L. Yes, yes, he did. And, and so we're waiting for Caprillion to come back, but but no, Canning up to a, Canning was not sitting 94, 95 uh, when we saw him on seven days rest uh, in college. Mm -hmm. So worth noting, guy, a guy sleepers too strong when you're talking about a first round pick, but a guy to be uh, kind of keeping an eye on in the early going this year. Do have some more questions? Uh, did want to get to here? Uh, Stephen Solomon asks. Uh, Again, yes. Do you think there'll be a point where they'll be able to trade draft picks or players for picks during the draft? I keep hoping that someday the MLB draft will have the same excitement and intrigue the NFL draft does. Do you have any thoughts before I go? If they can find a way that it will depress bonuses, yeah. I would say, I mean, the reality is, is I think you're never going to see the MLB draft have the interest the NFL draft has, and that's okay, but there's a logical reason for that. In the NFL, you draft, you can draft a player in the top five picks who immediately changes your team, sometimes even later in the top five picks. But you could draft a quarterback who comes in, starts from day one, and all of a sudden your team's an entirely different team. Or you can draft a pass rusher or a running back or whatever. The baseball draft, that's never going to be the baseball draft. I mean, you might have a guy you can get, like a Brandon Finnegan, who can come up and impact a playoff race immediately working but, as not, a, not, yeah. not so much now but working as a reliever working as a reliever who was the fifth best reliever in that pen I, I'd also like to say that I'm with Steven I would love to see them be able to trade picks I um, think if you have assets you should be able to trade them I, I would say it's an equalizer too I mean not everybody has a top flight farm system but lots of teams they, they all have some picks they all have picks um, I don't see reason I do think I think it is archaic. The reason you do not have draft picks being traded is, is that it's kind of a hedge against, I think there's two parts. One is it was a hedge back when teams were, the quality of team front offices varied much more dramatically than it does now. Mm -hmm. um, do remember there was a time when the Oakland A's front office essentially consisted of the owner. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a hedge against that. But the other part of it is, is that there is a concern, probably less so with the current uh, fixed slotting, but there is a concern that t players could pick their teams in essence. 
which we have seen in the NFL. John Elway says, don't draft me. And this is going back many years. But John Elway, who was also a baseball prospect, but John Elway saying, don't draft me, Indianapolis Colts. I will not sign with you. You have to trade the pick to someone else. And they did eventually, and that's how he became a Bronco. The MLB does not want there to ever be a scenario, the owners, I should say, does not want there to ever be a scenario where, let's say, a top prospect, a Steven Strasburg type or a Bryce, Bryce Harper, Harper type, is able to say, no, do not take me with the first pick. I will not sign with you. Trade my pick to someone else. Right now, with there not being the ability to trade anything other than, do remember, you can trade the competitive balance picks, but other than that, you can't. Uh, it means that you, you prevent that being an option. You prevent that being something that is a concern of a team, essentially a player picking his team, saying, no, 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 I only want to play for the Yankees, so work out a trade, whatever. Um, so that's something... Uh, Again, I don't think it's something that you're going to see happen just because uh, anytime soon, really, because I don't think it will add a lot of interest. It will add modest, but it won't really add a lot of interest to the draft either, just from the standpoint of you're still talking about trading players who it's not like teams are really, there's not as much where you're talking about teams moving up. The other concern with, sorry, I just came up with one more concern, which the other concern with the current system is, is that in essence, this might work against ever seeing it traded, is in essence, you could buy slots. If you are uh, the Dodgers, let's say, a large market team, and you have a good farm system, theoretically, I mean, again, if you could trade a player to get the number one pick or then trade someone else to get the number two pick or whatever, or take on bad salaries to get a good pick, then all of a sudden you could dominate the draft and it could actually damage competitive balance because teams that have more money could all of a sudden have a more, you know, significant more money to spend in the draft. Now, again, that's a hypothetical, but we do see that there are teams out there, Orioles, that are willing to trade essentially all of their international money mm -hmm. for players who are middling at best mm -hmm. in most cases. So what is to say that at some point you may not have an owner say, I don't want to pay $7 million for the first pick. And so in his essence, you basically tank, tank that. the draft. Yeah, and by doing so, you send those, you pick up a major leaguer of some sort and you basically say, hey, you know, whatever team, here's seven more million or eight more million or nine more million to spend. So those are all kind of uh, concerns uh, with that. So Stephen Solomon points out Pete Ingevillia, yes, that's one of the reasons that you can't trade draft picks is Pete Cavilla. there in fact was the Pete Cavilla rule because he didn't want to play at the Expos. They ended up trading him to the Rangers. Rule was passed, you couldn't trade a pick for up to, for a year after his draft. Uh, then we had the Trey, Trey Turner, Turner rule because Trey Turner was traded six months after his draft as the player to be named. Everyone realized it was really stupid that he had to spend basically this period of two, a month of the season, essentially playing for a team that everyone and their brother knew was not going to be his long-term organization. So now you can trade them after six months. So, right, there, there's a lot of uh, complications with it. But, uh, but so that's kind of, uh, that's that. So before we run, so who are you going to see this um, weekend? I have a couple choices tomorrow. I might go with the college guys to see Shane McClanahan for a second that's time. That's a good one. Or I might go to Bowie's Creek to see Darwinzon Hernandez um, on Saturday. I believe I'm going to see Bowie's Creek. I'm going to see Tanner Houck. And I believe on Sunday, if I feel 
frisky. I'm gonna go to down east for the first time ever and see Alex Lang. For and you're gonna Beach. check off uh, another the last ballpark. one. Your last North Carolina ballpark. I, I love going to Kinston. I would be remiss though if we, we talked about the Durham bullpen. We didn't talk about Anthony Bonda, mm -hmm. who has made two starts here at Durham. He struck out 16 in I think it's 10 in the third innings. Yes. Which is pretty good. And his arsenal is really good, but what jumps out about it is his fastball. He's 93 to 95, but the ball, the way it jumps, it's got, I mean, if you, if you don't say 70 life, it, you might be selling it short, seven life. Uh, it bites late and it bites hard to the point where certain metrics have it uh, absolutely elite. And it plays like 97, 99. So he's been getting swings and misses by the boatload on that fastball, particularly in the zone which was what was pointed out to me yesterday. And he's been able to dominate. The first night, he had a little, the slider was working in the first inning. Not so much thereafter. The changeup was okay, the curveball was okay. And he was able to pick apart Charlotte, which is full of not, not prospect you guys, but guys who can tell you if you're good or bad with essentially a fastball. And he did the same thing last night against, what did they face last night? Gwinnett, he picked apart those guys with that fastball and just the way he can move it in, out, up, down, and have it just explode on you. It's it's a really intriguing guy to watch, I think, and one that doesn't get the publicity that some other guys with more notable names get. No, it's a good, a good another good one like Griffin Canning and a guy who's, again, a prospect who's highly regarded, been highly regarded, but maybe even a little bit better than what he was when we came into the season. Mm -hmm. I would say that's the way to put it. That's the thing that happens that's fun about the early season is... is Jake Faria was a guy like that last year. Mm -hmm. took, a, took a step. Unfortunately for Jake, he's kind of taken a step back. This, we may see Jake again before long. But, uh, but yes, uh, one last question because uh, Jack Cecil, it's a good question. I might, Jack, I might take this and kind of build on it for SBA, but... In regards to top 10 prospect, is it almost a prerequisite to have a 70 tool and be young for your league? Seven of your top 10 have a 70 tool, and the three you do not have 360s. I was combined, combing through the handbook to try and find guys who have that profile known as Christian Robinson, Alexander Canario, and Trent Devereaux. While they likely won't be top 10s, do they share a common mold with top 10s? I, I mean, big tools is a great start. Big tools is a great start. That's how you get to these lists. And that's why you move so quickly. You have big, the biggest tools in the minors last year, arguably, belonged to Ronald Acuna, mm -hmm. and he moved like you know he moved like he was on the highway going 120. I will say though, when you say 70s, I will caution. You do have to look at what those are. Like, there's a lot of guys with seven fastballs out there who are not anything. Okay, that's one. Like, if, if you got to have a guy with seven fastball, you've got to have okay. Command of it. Are you well? Not just that. To me, like you're talking about a top prospect as a pitcher, seven fastball is great. That's a good starting point. As he just do you have six control or command? Or do you have a six or seven second pitch? Ideally, do you have a six or seven second pitch and a five or six third pitch? You know, like you have to have multiple pieces. Alex Ochoa had an eight arm. And he did make a hundred, I think, at one point. But Alex Ochoa had an eight arm as a right fielder. And an eight arm, it's an eight. But it's only going to carry you so far, especially an outfielder. Um, an eight speed, if eight, if you have eight speed but a three hit tool, you might, you might be able to get to the World Series, but nowhere else. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. But um, one, one more. more. <laughs> Excuse me. But um, but at the same time, but you're talking about you know, it's a seven hit. 
If you have no, a seven hit tool, you can go anywhere. And and some fives. Okay, well then you know. But again, you have to look. Well-rounded players do better than players who have one tool and not others. And a seven hit or seven power is more valuable than a seven field, which is more valuable than a seven run, which is more valuable than a seven arm. They're not all created equal. Right. But the names of the players you like, I've been on record here on I think on the podcast and Facebook Live saying Alexander Canario is a guy you can't be confident of his hit tool yet because he's yet to play above the DSL. But you're right; it's a well-rounded tool set. Trent DeVoe. Trent DeVoe. I saw it in, in instructs last year, and you know I'm sitting there watching the pitchers, and it's, I kind of looked at Billy Epler. Who is this? Because he's out here against Arizona Fall League guys warming up, tripling, pimping the triple. And running like the wind. Okay, there, there's a guy. He's 17 years old and runs like a track star. So, Jack, what I would say is, is yes, you actually, you absolutely, that is a good starting place to start. I think you would agree. Oh yeah. Um, but yes, and also you look at our top 10. Top 10 generally is going to have a boatload of sixes or sixes and sevens, maybe an eight, and a track record of production. I mean, that's you put those things together, and that's how you get Ronald Acuna. Mm-hmm. Or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Shohei Otani, who Shohei Otani may have more sevens than any player in baseball history. I mean, there's only so many you can have, but yeah. Because most players <laughs> don't get to look at ten categories. Yeah. You know, but it's a seven fastball, at least. Yep. It's a seven split, at least. It's seven power, at least. And I think you could give him a seven run. Oh, I thought you were going to give him seven hit. Like, it was a little early for that. I'm not going to give him a hit. But that's four sevens. North Syndergaard actually might have four sevens too. Yeah. So, uh, number that's a that's a that's an SBA question I need to dive into at some point. Young CC Sabathia, seven power, seven raw. Babe Ruth. Would be there the you question. go. Babe Ruth would be the question. Well, I love by the way that so Shohei Otani is you know obviously destroying people. Every so often you get like stats and info saying like, you know it's it's it's. So the first time since such and such that a player has had three wins and two home runs or whatever it is, it's like, how hard did you have to look up for that? That seems pretty, like, you just fake typing on the computer. It's Babe Ruth. Yes. <laughs> Willie Mays. Eight, def- you know, seven, eight defense. Early, se- early career, at least seven mm-hmm. run. I think he had the arm. Mm-hmm. He may have had five sevens. So... Okay, that's a fascinating question. Anyone has thoughts on that, shoot us an email. I'm Cooper at BaseballAmerica.com. As an offshoot of that, I kind of wonder who had the most sevens or eights and didn't make it. I'm sure there are guys who didn't because of makeup or injuries. Yeah, but didn't make it at all would be tough. But, uh, but again, like, because, again, Bo Jackson had four sevens. Because mm-hmm. the throwing arm was a definite seven. The speed was an eight. The power was an eight, and then the defense was probably, well, you might could have go seven early in his career. That would have been the one, but seven early career, so you didn't have the hit tool. But, yeah, right. that's, a, that's a fascinating question, too. But if you have thoughts on that, uh, feel free to hit us up. We thank you for all the questions. It was fun, as always. We do thank you for, uh, for the downloads and then tuning in on Facebook Live. Today's podcast and Facebook Live was sponsored by Baseballism. Visit Baseballism.com. And get the best apparel in baseball and enter the code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, and you can get 20% off of your order. For Josh Norris, I'm J.J. Cooper. Enjoying this as always. Uh, Thank you all, and so long, everybody.